Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It's going to be our passage of Scripture this morning. Looking forward to uh, next week, church. Uh, Nathan Smith from our sister church in Bristol, England, is going to be here to preach. And that's going to be a real treat for us. Nathan is helping um, to care for Mario and Jen Vucenovich, um, who were sent out from our church last year to plant a church in Croatia. Nathan's really running point on behalf of Sovereign Grace to make sure that the Vucenoviches are cared for. And he has a real burden for Mario and Jen, and he'll be here next week to preach God's word to us. And I'm really looking forward to that time. It's going to be sweet. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 is our passage of Scripture this morning. Let's read God's Word together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The three points of the sermon this morning are power, purpose, and presence. Let's pray together. Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes to see Jesus in this passage, and that our hearts would be stirred and touched and moved into action by your power, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would inspire all of us, Lord, to have a passion to be discipled, and also to have a passion to make disciples. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. And we just praise you for the work of grace that you've done in our lives, for all of us here who have believed. You have saved our souls from damnation. And no condemnation is ours, because Jesus, you were condemned in our place, on the cross. How can we thank you enough for your sacrifice? How can we thank you enough for your resurrection from the grave? We are so thankful that we serve a risen Lord and Savior. Lord, move our hearts today into action. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The context of this uh, final section of Scripture here in our Gospel of Matthew series, Follow Me, uh, is Galilee. Now remember, Galilee is a little bit to the north of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus conducted so much of his uh, earthly ministry. And this, this section here, the transition of verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. It seems like Jesus gave instructions to the women and to the disciples that he was going to be at this specific place, and they obeyed him. It took about a week to transition up from Jerusalem to get up to Galilee. And so they made that transition to go And visit him there. Um, This is most likely about 20 to 35 days uh, 
after the resurrection has taken place. Remember, uh, 40 days after his resurrection, he ascended at Mount the, the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. And so most likely this is in between 20 and 35 days after the resurrection. And Matthew really puts this section in here with a real purpose uh, to move our hearts, to be inspired, to obey the Lord and the Great Commission. Um, this, this section here, we see that the 11 are gathered here, but it also talks about others. And most scholars believe that this spot here in Galilee, in the mountainside, was actually where in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 6, in the passage I read last night at our members meeting, um, it actually talks about that Jesus appeared bodily in his resurrection to over 500 brothers at one time. And, and most scholars believe that this is the moment right here. He gathered and there was a large gra- crowd that gathered and saw Jesus risen from the grave. So this is a real glorious moment in relation to eyewitnesses seeing Jesus risen from the grave. Um, he, what we see here in verse 16 is just they see him. And remember, the disciples and the, the ladies, they had... They had seen Jesus multiple times by now, alive and risen from the grave. And so when they gather, it seems most likely here that the 11 sort of all enter into worship and that there are some who doubted, um, probably a better translation of that word is some hesitate. Um, this hesitation that takes place um, on the part of the, the crowd is is. For, Perhaps because some of them were seeing Jesus risen from the grave for the very first time and may have been standing at a distance. And then when Jesus drew near and said these words, it seems likely that many who hesitated um, also joined in to worship by the end of Jesus' discourse here on the Great Commission because they saw him. Remember, uh, just on the Emmaus Road, there were two individuals walking with Jesus for some time. It didn't recognize him, and he's right there. And so it seems that after Jesus was risen from the grave, um, there was some hesitation on the part of some to really recognize that it was Jesus. It took them sort of a double take before they realized that it was Christ. And so this response here, though, of worship is just so powerful and so fitting. What I love about it is, is that Jesus... Uh, gathers in front of them and they begin to worship. We, we saw last week in the passage John preached. And by the way, John, I don't know if he's probably out serving somewhere. John did such an outstanding job over these last three weeks, didn't he? And the passage on the resurrection last week in particular was just very, very moving. But in verse 9, we see that the women gathered and they worshiped. They took hold of Jesus' feet and worshiped him. And here again, there's this response of worship to the risen Christ. How fitting that the response to the risen Christ is worship. And that I was thinking about that this morning as we were praising and worshiping the Lord here in 2017. We respond to the risen Christ, brothers and sisters, with worship because he is worthy. Just as Josh so wonderfully spoke about this morning. This this worship here, I love the, the women in verse 9 just taking hold of Jesus' feet and worshiping him. When I think about worshiping Jesus, that, that image of getting down on your knees and just grabbing his feet and just laying hold of him is such a powerful one, a powerful image of worship. And our hearts should all of us be like that. And here the 11 gather and they, they worship. And we know that, uh, 
doubting Thomas had doubted and his doubts were overcome because Jesus uh, just directly interacted with him and put his doubts to rest. And so he's here as well. The only one here that's not here is Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ and then hung himself and uh, went to his own place very sadly because he rejected Christ. But the 11 are here and they're worshiping Jesus. And what's wonderful about this is Jesus isn't stopping them. He's just standing on the hillside. They are letting him have it with praise and worship. He's just taking it in. And we're going to be able to be in heaven, brothers and sisters. Letting him have it as well in his immediate physical presence one day very soon. He's going to let us keep on going. Because he is worthy. And I can't wait to worship him there. But we get to worship him here. And uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to do that together with you. Uh, this worship from the disciples is so fitting. And the fact that Jesus just allows them to worship is evidence and proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, worthy of our worship and our devotion, our wholehearted devotion and worship. The essence of true worship, one Christian said, is a single-minded, unhindered, unqualified concentration on Jesus Christ. A concentration on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A single-minded, unhindered, unqualified concentration on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that we, Christ Community Church, would have this essence of true worship, that we likewise would have, together collectively as a congregation and as individuals, a single-minded, unhindered, unqualified concentration on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and that that would shine out from each and every one of our lives in greater and greater measure. The eleven are worshiping him. There's some who are hesitating. I love how God's words that like that as well. The, the the hesitation on the part of some, the it just gives such you know evidence of the reliability of the scriptures because if you were just trying to hype things in your favor, you would never talk about some hesitating to worship or some delaying. Um, God's word is so awesome in that it, it just presents the facts exactly as they were and it's so wonderful that just the, the fact that some hesitate, it doesn't stop Jesus from coming in front of them. And it's such a picture, really, of, of just the way the Lord is with us. He is so patient with us as we genuinely worship Him. There's times where we may feel like we hesitate or even struggle with doubts. Um, but the Lord is so kind and so gracious and so patient with each and every one of us. And He turns our doubts, He turns our hesitations into true worship. I love him so much, don't you? Well, they're gathered here, and Jesus speaks to them. He came, and he he said to them, he drew near, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the first point. He's talking about power. Power. Jesus with all authority, 
This is speaking about his unlimited power over heaven and earth that had been given to him by the Father. It's amazing that this flows right out from the previous section. The context of this passage in 11 through 15 is the report of the guards. If you remember that, John hit that so well last week that bribes were given, hush money, to try to shut down and contain the truth that Jesus had in fact risen from the grave. But the good news is, brothers and sisters, they did their utmost to contain it, to contain him, and to contain the truth. Go ahead and roll your big stone in front of that grave. It's not going to stop him. Jesus could not be stopped. He could not be contained. His power and his authority are so great and absolute that he is stronger than death. And he's standing here alive, testifying to them in Galilee that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Can't help but think, I I love the psalm in Psalm chapter 2. It affects me so much when I think of it and meditate on it. Oh, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. I love that verse. (laughs) You get a little glimpse of him sitting in the heavens laughing when he sends one of his angels in the passage John reads last week to just roll away the stone and then just sit upon it. (laughs) There's just this touch of humor, like nice try to try to contain the Son of God in the grave. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, and then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, nations go on in rage. You cannot stop me from setting my King on my holy hill that He might rule and reign over the nations. I will tell of the decree, Psalm 2 verse 7 says, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. The ends of the earth your possession. This great commission here, Jesus is coming in the resurrected authority and power that He has been given. And He is basically taking the ends of the earth as His possession. Oh, how awesome is the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Stronger than death He is. Nothing can hold Him down. Nothing can stop Him. And nothing can stop the truth. Such great news, brothers and sisters, that the truth can try to be suppressed but it just continues to advance and nothing can stop it all the way to the ends of the earth. What a happy 
thought because Jesus is the one in authority and in power. This is meant to bolster our courage as we enter into the mission of the gospel's advance together as his church. This authority, as I mentioned, was given to him by the Father. And what it speaks to is that Jesus has the freedom and the right to speak and to act as he pleases. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and nothing and no one can stop him. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11, in a passage many of you cherish as I do, says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This authority is universal and it is absolute. It is meant to be the resource and the engine that drives our individual hearts and the heart of the church to go into obedience to obey the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Standing here on this mountainside, speaking during the time of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire that had existed, Jesus declared, all authority on earth has been given to me. So Roman Empire, America, whole world, under me. I rule. I reign. The earth is His footstool. Oh, brothers and sisters, we're talking about an absolutely sovereign God who sits on the throne and reigns. He is reigning right now, and we are just awaiting His return. Acts 4, verse 19 is a a powerful scripture as well. You may remember, because persecution was breaking out on the early church, and in Acts 4, 19, they try to stop Peter and John from preaching the gospel. Do you remember this? And in verse 19 of Acts chapter 4, But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have seen him. We've heard him. We worshiped him on the mountainside in Galilee. And you're going to tell us to stop? We need to listen to God. And not man. And no doubt they were also bolstered by this authoritative Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We can't listen to you, leaders of Jerusalem. We need to listen to our resurrected Lord. Because you, like everybody else, is under his authority. So brothers and sisters, this has great implications for the church today. There is no such thing as a closed nation to the gospel. 
Because all authority in heaven and in earth is Jesus'. Everything is under His rule, under His reign. And He declares it happily to the disciples here, right prior to giving them this glorious command that we'll look at in just a moment. There is a higher authority that we go by, that we submit to. This power that Jesus speaks of here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We respond by saying, yes, indeed, Lord, you are our Lord. You are my Lord. You are my master. And I submit my life to you. I worship you. Here I am. Send me. That was point one, power. The second point is purpose. Purpose. We see that here in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teaching them to to observe all that I have commanded you. This purpose, Jesus is speaking in the form of a command. As Lord, as the one in authority over the heavens and the earth. He gives a purpose to His disciples. And that is to make disciples. The actual command here, the imperative or the command that's given is actually make disciples. That's the command. So make disciples and then there are sort of three kind of tasks characterized that flow out from that command of go make disciples, and that is sort of, it goes like this, make disciples going, baptizing, teaching. So the focus here is on making disciples of all nations. That word of all nations is where we get the word ethnicity in English. Ethnos in the Greek, it speaks to all people groups and all tribes and every tongue needs to hear about the message of Jesus Christ. Disciples are going to be one. Representatives are going to be around the throne on the final day from every tribe and tongue and nation, singing what we sung this morning, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And it's amazing here that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and yet He he actually uses us as His emissaries, as His messengers of the truth. Jesus doesn't do it actually physically with his own person. He fills his church. He fills his people with the Holy Spirit. And they literally encounter Jesus Christ through us. We are one with Christ. So much so that when Stephen is stoned to death early on in the book of Acts, and when the church is being persecuted, Saul is knocked off his horse, and the question Jesus asks is, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am so identified with my people that when you touch them, you touch me. And so when we go forth to make disciples, it's actually Jesus going forth to make disciples through us. We are so one with Him. And there's something just so glorious about this, that this is just the heart of God and how the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth. 
God could have chosen to do it in so many different ways. He could have put a big sign in heaven with the gospel so that everybody could read it in every language on the earth. But he has designed, God has designed it to be this way. That he tells his disciples to go forth and to make disciples. There is something so glorifying to God in using us to be his ambassadors. It's just the way God's designed it. And it's glorious and we should look at it as such. And I I try to ponder, like, Lord, you could have done it in other ways. And in a sense, maybe easier ways. Working and putting this treasure in jars of clay like us, it's just... It's just awkward and we try to communicate the gospel and we stumble over it and we kind of mess it up and don't kind of say it as clearly as we would like to when we share it with people. And I can't help but think, though, that there just must be something that's so glorious to our God that as Paul testifying to the grace of God in his own life in Galatians 1 verse 23, says about himself after he was converted through the resurrected Christ on the Damascus road and was transformed instantly from a persecutor of the church and a violent man into a man who loved Jesus and preached Jesus. Paul just says this. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And that can be said of many of us here. We're now preaching the faith that perhaps some of us once tried to destroy or once stood in opposition to. Now we're preaching that faith. We once were hard-hearted and people tried to share the gospel with us and we mocked them. Now we willingly suffer ourselves to be mocked by others in order to win others to Christ. I think there's just something that glorifies God in that. Something so precious to our Lord that those who once rejected the truth are now happily proclaiming it. And that's each and every one of us in this room. None of us are born Christians. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. All of us, Scripture says in Ephesians 2, were once objects of God's wrath. And by His amazing grace, we have been transformed, those of us who believed, into objects of God's mercy. And how awesome it must be for God to say, look, look at my daughter down there. Remember her a number of years ago? Sinning and indulging in the flesh. And now she's preaching Christ and winning others to Jesus. Look at my son down there. He was once an object of my wrath. Now he's an object of mercy and he's my ambassador. Spreading everywhere the aroma of Christ wherever he goes. Look at this church, Christ Community Church, full of sinners who have been saved by my grace. Once it would have been just a strange thought to gather together and sing songs of worship to Jesus Christ. But now it's the highlight of their week to gather And to sing praise together with people that had I not saved them, they might not have ever been friends. But now they're gathered together with love for one another in their hearts to worship and praise me 
because I have done something for each and every one of them. I have saved them from their sins. I have rescued rescued them from eternity in hell. And now they're here praising me and proclaiming me. There must be some just wonderful, just glory that that brings to God. (laughs) That God has designed it to be this way. To send his messengers to the ends of the earth. God's omnipotent. He could have done anything that he chose to do to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. But he's called us as his people to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is our purpose. He has filled our life with purpose, brothers and sisters. And that purpose is to obey the command of Jesus here. The resurrected Christ says, go, therefore, and here's the command, make disciples. And make disciples going, baptizing, teaching. Those are the three tasks that flow out from the call of discipleship. Let me talk just for a moment about making disciples and the specific command here to make disciples. Literally, this word disciples means a pupil or a learner. It's a follower. One Christian said it's bringing into the relation of pupil to teacher and taking that teacher's yoke of authoritative instruction on themselves. That was literally the language that was used. Back in the first century, you didn't go to a university. You went and you enrolled with a teacher. You submitted yourself under the yoke of a teacher. That, that flows all the way back during the times of Socrates and Plato and where individuals would gather and they literally would follow these teachers around and literally walk in their footsteps. That was sort of the, the, the plan. You walk and you literally learn to walk in their footsteps. That was really an illustration of what was seeking to happen. They were discipling one another. You see this with the Apostle Paul when he talks about how he was instructed in the law by the teacher Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was well known. And he was a man of great reputation under the Jewish law. And when Saul was knocked off his horse, he immediately came under the yoke of the risen Christ. And when the Holy Spirit opened each one of our eyes, those of us who have repented of our sins and believed, we came under the yoke. The one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, the world and Satan and sin lay a heavy yoke. And a yoke that ultimately leads to eternal destruction. But Jesus calls us out of that darkness and into his wonderful light and puts a light yoke on us to be his disciple and to follow in his footsteps. And each one of us, brothers and sisters, are called to be discipled and also to make disciples. We are literally to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And we are to teach others to follow Jesus so closely 
that they literally walk in the footsteps of Jesus as well. This is the purpose of our lives. The purpose of the church is to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. We see immediately just this vision, which trails all the way back to Genesis 12 with the calling that God gave to Abram when he said that Abram, through you and through your seed, speaking to Christ, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And here we see the great outflowing of this through God's humble people, empowered by the Spirit, fueled by the engine that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, going forth with this glorious purpose to make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching, and that's how it gets done. And brothers and sisters, that's why we're on this earth. We're not on this earth just to take up space. We're not on this earth to live for self. We're not on this earth just to live a good, happy American Christian life and just accumulate things and just kind of enjoy our time here. And we are here for a purpose. We have a sacred calling from the resurrected Christ just as much as the disciples. And it's, it's important to note here, it wasn't just to the 11 that Jesus spoke these words. The 500 who seen Jesus at one time most likely were here as well, hearing these very words, and they were commissioned, commanded to go forth and to make disciples of all nations. We're talking about a worldwide advance of the gospel from the very start. One Christian said that no part of the Bible has done more to give Christians the vision of the worldwide church than this passage here in Matthew chapter 28. Indeed, this is the focal point of this gospel. It's where Matthew was seeking to build all the way to this point to inspire God's people to go forth and to make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching. This is how it's going to get done. And this baptism and this teaching flows out from God's people, His disciples going. There's initiative that happens from us to somebody else. Um, I was really just affected the other night. I, I was walking up to my neighbor's doorstep to knock on his door and just invite him to hang out. Shannon and I are just praying that he gets saved and uh, we're just doing everything we can to just seek to pray and strategize. How can we just reach out to this guy and win him to Jesus Christ, and make this guy a disciple like we're disciples, and be willing to disciple him when he gets saved. We're not just making converts, we're called to make disciples. And that is a lifelong process. That's why it's so vital for this to happen in the local church, because the local church can sustain lifelong teaching. It's the brilliance of God and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is to be a discipleship center where we, all of us, are discipled in an ongoing way, being discipled, but also where we are moved and inspired and equipped to go forth to make disciples ourselves. We are all called to play a part, to play our small part in the world's redemption through prayer, through discipleship, through going and taking initiative. And let's just think about this in relation to our neighbors, 
I think there's a tendency, and I can see it in myself, just to kind of wave. But being a nice neighbor and a friendly neighbor is not going to get anybody saved. I got to, at some point, I got to cross that street. I got to shake that hand. I got to introduce myself. I got to invite into my home. I got to share the gospel, see them get saved, and then follow up with them and lead them into discipleship, into the life of the local church. Because I know, listen, I know with this guy, I get him in here around you all, he's going to get lit up for Jesus. That's how I feel. And so I'm just like, God, help us to help him. But it takes initiative. It takes a spirit-filled initiative and an onus to recognize, God, we've got to go on the move. We've got to take initiative. We can't wait for the world to come into us. That's not what Jesus is saying here. We have to go, therefore, and make disciples. You see, again, this onus on, on initiative and on action and activity on our part. We're not to stand idly by. We're not to just sort of coast through our life here. We are to burn with a zeal and a passion to, to see the nations discipled. And to do everything we can to advance the gospel and to make disciples. We're called to go. Here I am, Lord, and send me. We're called to baptize. This baptizing is talking about the gospel call to plead with people to repent and believe in the good news about Jesus Christ. And having repented and believed, encourage them like Peter in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. To baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love this Focus on the Trinity from Jesus himself. These are just, this is an awesome passage on the Trinity when Jesus says, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here again is another reference to Jesus self-proclaiming his deity and the Holy Spirit's deity. And when we baptize, there is a sign of what God has done in the heart of the individual who has repented and believed in Christ. They are united to Christ through their faith in Jesus Christ and baptism with immersion underwater and coming back up out of the water symbolizes that individual through believing in Christ, their old life is dead and buried and now they are raised with Christ to new life. They are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. They are saved and baptism and the choice to be baptized implies commitment. I am signing up before all the world for all the world to see that I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. That's the starting point. It immediately is moved with a a, a step of commitment. And then flowing out from that, there is teaching. There is a lifelong followership, a lifelong learning that doesn't stop all the way until we get to heaven. What you see, what's amazing about the Apostle Paul, and you see this with him, is when he's in prison writing, he's saying, listen, and this is when he's in, the, he's, he's in prison in Rome, and he's saying, would you please bring me my cloak and bring me the parchments? I want to study. I want to learn. And here the man had written over a quarter of the New Testament by this point, he's about to be martyred, it seems, and, and he's just wanting to learn more about Jesus. That's awesome. 
it's an example to all of us of never grow tired of the word of God, brothers and sisters. Never grow tired of hearing the preached word. We not, must not tire as the years go on of church life and hearing the preaching of the word. This is a means, to, a means of grace to all of us to be fed and to be nourished. We all need it in order for us to be discipled. And in the corporate gathering through the preached word on Sunday mornings and small group gatherings as we enter into Bible study together through the years and in smaller groups as the word is preached and taught and, and teaching is to flow out in every direction that touches in on the Christian life and hit and, and hit just every area for faith and practice. Brothers and sisters, this is something that we're all called to do and be passionate about to, to submit ourselves to it, but also have a heart as well to be used of the Lord in it. And that's going to mean our lives. That's going to mean wholehearted worship and devotion to our Lord. Going, baptizing, teaching. Jesus is talking here about a way of life. He's not just talking about these tasks to get done. It's it's an entire way of life. It's a way of thinking that we're not here to serve self. We're here to serve the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God's advance. To make disciples of all nations and to make that the great purpose and ambition of our lives for the glory of God. Let me ask you, is this glorious purpose your way of life? Are we helping others that it might become their way of life? Oh, church, let us be inspired and moved. Let us be a church full of true disciples, laboring to make true disciples of Christ. Let us teach so that those who are coming up might follow literally in Jesus' footsteps. We looked at power. We looked at purpose. Let's look finally at presence. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see that the first point under power calls us to really look at the Lord and say, Lord, you are my Lord, my master. This purpose really says, Lord, look, you are my teacher and I follow you. This third point here about his presence. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Talks about that Jesus is our constant companion. And friend. What's amazing is most lords and masters, most teachers, there's a time when you're with them and then there's a time when you're not. But with Jesus, he is always with his pupils, his disciples. I am with you always. To the end of the age. In addition to hearing about his power, all authority, this promise here of his presence is meant to be a great comfort. So his authority is meant to bolster us with great courage to go forth to the nations. And this word about his presence is meant to minister great comfort to us that as we go, we do not go alone. We go with the risen Christ. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know His power. And that gives us confidence. And we hear this tender promise and it brings great comfort to us. One Christian wrote, this is a breathtaking promise. And another, this isn't just a promise. It's a fact. I love that. 
It's the fact of his presence as well as the promise. Promise implies that that's going to take place in the future. Fact is, and take heart, every one of you right now, true Christians, he is with you right now. He's with us right now in the assembly. He's with you when you head out and you get in your car and go home, believer. One commentary said that the disciple will find that he has a great companion as he goes on his way through life. A great companion. Indeed. I wonder if you see God in that way, that he is your great companion. I was thinking of Proverbs, that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have a resurrected Lord who is never too busy for us. There's so many times where I would like to just go out and just grab lunch with Jesus. <laughs> it might sound a little odd at first, but I try to do it intentionally to remind myself when I go out with my Bible and my journal and I sit down, I try to schedule it. So I can go and I just sit down and I try to find a, a quiet, secluded spot at some McDonald's somewhere or somewhere else. And I just try to write in my journal and pray and thank Him for saving me. Tell Him what an honor it is to be His servant, to be His son. And then I, I really do, I try to just Imagine when I look up from the table that he's just sitting right there across from me. Smiling. Because Jesus is our brother. He's our friend. He's our constant great companion. Pastor Richard Sibbs in England in the 1600s said that he saw God as, quote, the great friend. Do you see him that way? Do you know he loves you in that way? Our constant close companion, our great companion. Matthew's been trying to drive this home the whole time. In Matthew one twenty three, he talks about and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And here he ends with the promise that as we make disciples of the nations, he is with us both now and forevermore. Never will he withdraw. Never will he leave us or forsake us. You might feel like at times you pull back from him, but he never pulls back from you. Beloved, I am with you always to the end of the age. People might fail you, but Jesus never will. He's your constant close companion, your truest and best friend. I want to urge you to think of him in such terms and not think of him as distant, but think of him as always with you as you're driving in your car. Think of Him next to you. 
as you're getting lunch alone, remember, He's with you. His presence is meant to bring you peace and to bring you comfort. One of my favorite pictures from the Civil War is a painting called Hancock's Ride, and it's a painting of General Hancock of the Union Army at Gettysburg when the Confederate soldiers led by Robert E. Lee and General Pickett were rushing across a mile-wide stretch of land with thousands of soldiers to seek to break the Union center. Before that happened, there was an artillery barrage that was the greatest artillery barrage in North America up until that time. There had been nothing like it. And it caused the soldiers who were waiting to fear. But in this painting called Hancock's Ride, General Hancock gets up on his horse and he rides amongst his men back and forth to assure them that I'm here. I'm with you. And it gave courage to the men. It brought comfort to them and strength for the fight. The fight in which they prevailed and drove back the enemy, which ultimately led to the war being won. That image is like our glorious Savior who was always with us, saying, in everything you're going through, in every trial, every struggle, every fear, every heartache, I am with you and I love you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. Even right now, though you feel distant from me, I'm just drawing you back because I love you so much. And I'm calling you to this great call to go and make disciples. And you feel so weak, but don't forget my power that all authority has been given to me. So you go forth in your weakness and go forth and proclaim the name of my son and watch me move in my power, even through your weakness. I want to turn our attention to communion at this time. And so if the ushers can begin to distribute the elements for communion, let us, church, prepare our hearts. Communion is for true Christians, true disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we do, I want to share a few stories with you. On February 19th, 1812, Anne and Adoniram Judson sailed from Salem aboard the brig Caravan as two of the first missionaries to go out from North America. Watching the shoreline disappear, they could not have foreseen the impact of their journey on the future of the Christian world or its mission, on the thousands of men and women who would follow in their footsteps. After a short stay in India, Anne and Adoniram Judson carried the good news of Jesus Christ to the golden shore of Burma. For Adoniram Judson, the golden shore brought bitter hardships. In fact, his wife Anne and their little child did not live very long. Whence they landed in Burma. It took seven years before they had their first convert to Christ. And there was so much discouragement. There was also imprisonment. 
he remarried and his second wife also died in the service of Christ in Burma. The discouragements and the temptations to give up must have been absolutely massive. And yet, Judson never wavered in his commitment to win people to faith in Jesus Christ and to make disciples of all nations. And he translated the Bible into the Burmese language. There are Christians in Burma right now who can trace their spiritual lineage back to Adoniram and Judson going to Burma at great sacrifice and cost to themselves. And yet there are disciples in Burma right now making disciples as well thanks to the sacrifices of these two servants of the Lord that Jesus filled with His Spirit. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Indians in the United States in the 1700s. In fact, John and I just visited a church in Monmouth, New Jersey, which is right near the Monmouth battlefield, the Revolutionary War battlefield. There's a church on that battlefield that dates all the way back to the 1690s. And so it's a real historical treasure. John and I were so delighted to climb up into the pulpit in this church because George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and David Brainerd, as well as William Tennant, all preached there. George Washington was in that church as well. There's a table by that was made by David Brainerd, and that table was a communion table. And that table was made by Brainerd, and he carried it with him as he visited the New, Jer- uh, the New Jersey Indian tribes and shared the gospel with them. At great hazard to his own health and through great suffering to his own health, he brought the gospel again and again to the Indians in New Jersey. For a long time, they rejected him. And then the gospel broke through. And in one instance, almost the whole entire tribe believed. And from this table that John and I were able to touch, Indians who were newly converted to Jesus Christ as born-again Christians heard about the gospel because of this man's determination to go and make disciples of all ethnos, people groups, every tribe and tongue and nation. I had the honor of picking Mario and Jen up right before we dropped them off at the Philadelphia airport to see them no more when they went to Croatia. I remember Jen walking out of her mom and dad's affluent house in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, house she grew up in, to leave it for the last time to go over to Croatia both of them willingly giving up the American dream in their own words to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We couldn't help but cry at the gravity of it. When I dropped them off at the airport, (laughs) there was more tears. Because you don't want to see 
friend's part in the mission of the gospel. But so it must be, brothers and sisters, if the gospel's to advance to the ends of the earth. And for you and I, we may not necessarily be called to go to Croatia or some other nation, perhaps. We may, but we may not. We can throw our full zeal and passion into this way of life called the Great Commission that Jesus commands here, right here in Reading, Pennsylvania. You do not need to get on a plane to embrace this call. You can embrace this way of life right here and right now by, like Mario and Jen in their example, kissing goodbye the American dream and saying, Lord, all of my time, all of my money, everything I've got is at your disposal. Here I am. Send me. Young people, you are on this earth for this great commission. Parents, grandparents, We are on this earth for this great commission. Let us throw ourselves into it with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. Because we have this one short earthly life to live to make disciples. Because we are going to be able to worship both now and forevermore, but we are not going to be able to make disciples both now and forevermore. We're not going to be able to evangelize both now and forevermore because there will be no evangelism in heaven and there will be no discipleship in heaven. But for now, dear church, these are the days of labor. These are the days we put our backs into it together corporately and individually and say, no, I'm not going to succumb to the American dream. I'm going to do everything I can to live for Jesus Christ and his glory and in obedience to his glorious command here in this passage. By God's grace, may it be so. Because our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. His body was broken, brothers and sisters. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember the glorious gospel and our broken Savior, by whose brokenness our sins have been forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. And let us also remember the shed blood of our Lord. And he took a cup. And this cup is symbolizing his shed blood on the cross, which has atoned for all of our transgressions. He said, it is finished. And the reason we know it is finished is because Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And we know that his shed blood really has washed away all of our sins. Let us remember his blood and thank him for it. Thank you, Lord. If I can have uh, Josh and the worship team come back and let's all stand and let's sing and worship the Lord in closing. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done until everyone might know your name. This is our call. It comes at great cost. Brothers and sisters, we have our Lord, our master, our teacher, our friend with us. 
let's go. Let's be committed disciples ourselves, and let us make disciples of all nations together. Let's worship Him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, it is a delight for us to be able to come today to hear your word preached, but not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. And Lord, you told us in your word that we are to go and make disciples. And so, Lord, our prayer today is that we would go by the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth starting here in our area with our families, with our friends, and then going out even further and further, that people will hear about Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will convict and convert, and those that were once hostile like we were to Him would be adopted as sons and daughters. Thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord God, that disciples are made by being taught. Lord, help us to teach others who are Christians about Jesus, about the word. In your name we pray, amen. One word, very small, but very big. Go. Go. And that's what I'm going to say to you today because it comes from the scriptures and then you're dismissed. Go. Amen.